Welcome to the Tools for Today's Farmers podcast, brought to you by the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team. Our podcast will cover current issues in farming and will provide insight from a wide variety of experts in agriculture. Now let's get farm strong. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Rachel Dilhoff. And I'm your co-host, Abby Heidenreich. And today we're happy to have Marshall Sewell with us. Marshall, um, you are the creator, the head of Mind Your Melon. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Um, I know you do way more than that. So I gave a very brief introduction of that. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to tell us more about yourself. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Um, Thanks for the chance to to just talk with you and, and also your listeners. But as far as my background... So I am involved in agriculture. I grew up in the state of Florida, down in central Florida, uh, Plant City to be exact, and grew up in my family's multi-generational farm operation. Uh, we mostly grew up producing fruits and vegetables. We did fall, fall vegetables, winter strawberries, and then also followed up with spring vegetables. And as most farmers in the area would, we also raised a few cows here and there as well, but primarily in the fruit and vegetable production area. And so grew up doing that. And currently, um, my family still runs the farm operation. And after graduating from the University of Florida, I studied ag econ, ag business, and actually ended up going to work for a seed company. I now work uh, across North America in the vegetable seed industry. And so getting to work with growers similar to my family and, and ultimately just trying to help bring solutions and bring new innovation to growers. And that's that's been one of my big goals. But you mentioned Mind Your Melon specifically, and so I will also, if you'd like, I can I can share a little bit more background on what exactly that is and, and how it all came about. So regarding Mind Your Melon, uh, I, I mentioned that I grew up on my family's farm and then later went on to University of Florida and started working with the seed company. So a lot of the catalyst for that was my senior year of high school. When we had started our crop, I mentioned that we grew winter strawberries. So ultimately, we would start planting strawberries for our our season in the fall time. And our hope or our ambition would be that we would start picking our first strawberries around Thanksgiving. And then we would pick all the way into early spring. And that's when we had transitioned into vegetables. But strawberries, as I said, primary crop. And we were in November of my senior year of high school. We were getting ready, getting geared up for the strawberry season. We had all of our plants in the ground. And Unfortunately, to make a a long story short, um, ourselves, along with many other strawberry farmers in the area, we actually got hit with this nursery-borne disease. So the strawberry plants would would start out in the nursery, and then we would move them to the farm and we would transplant them. There was this nursery-borne disease outbreak that ended up impacting strawberries all around the Florida industry. We were not able to avoid it. We got some, uh, I'll call them dirty plants, at the farm. And we started seeing our our strawberry field impacted, acres and acres of strawberries just wilting down and dying. And I'm sure that it for people listening, you know, if they're in production ag or they, they come from the ag field, that'll probably resonate. It's a gut punch. But for anybody even not necessarily in production ag, just think about just getting caught flat-footed in, in your line of work, you know, not really knowing how to pivot, where to turn, what to do, and trying to look for the answer, the solution. And in all reality, there was no simple solution at that stage. We had all of our, our chips on the table, so to speak. We had all of our money invested into that crop. And then before we even started picking the first bit of fruit, our plants were dying. And so it was a really tough situation. 
And I still remember um, it was Sunday, November 18th of my senior year. Um, again, trying to to make a long story a little more concise, but my dad actually woke up that morning and I was going to go to the farm with him. I was going to work on some equipment with him and, and go check fields. And he told me and said, I really, I want you to go take your mom to church. And yes, sir. All right. So went, took my mom to church and and we went and somewhere during that hour long sermon, I, I don't know what it is that must have been on my dad's mind, you know, thinking about the bills that were coming in or, you know, the checks that wouldn't be coming in or, or whatever it was. But ultimately on that day, um, Sunday, November 18th, my dad decided that this world no longer needed him in it. Um, he ended up, he turned off his cell phone and he drove to the opposite end of the county and proceeded to end his own life. And because of the way in which he did it, turning off his phone and, and traveling away from the farm like he did and and, and getting away, uh, we had no idea. We didn't know. And so it actually ended up, uh, took a couple of days for him to actually be recovered. And so it wasn't until November 20th, that was a Tuesday, we we were able to locate him and realize what had happened. That alone is, is such a big piece of what happened there. But then on the backside of that, it was holiday time. It was we're in the middle of this this crop failure, so to speak. And my mom and my brother and I, we were still trying to figure out what exactly to do on the farm operation. So it was a lot. It was a lot going on. And so we uh, we were dealing with a lot of different stressors in a lot of different ways, um, you know, from financial stress and, and business stress and then also the grief of loss. And that is really the origin of Mind Your Melon. Uh, it, it, it didn't have that name. It didn't have that title. But going through that experience, I wanted to understand more about what my dad had gone through. I also wanted to better understand mental health, psychology, mindset, all those different things, because I, I wanted to better care for myself. I wanted to help be a resource or help be a better supporter for those people around me, other family members and even friends. And so I've Although I didn't necessarily study it full time, you know, academically, whenever I went to college, I've, I've been really trying to just ingrain myself into this subject and learn more about it over the years. And that's sort of where gradually uh, learning more and more the, the roots or the, the start of Mind Your Melon came from. And I believe it was it was right after Hurricane Michael came through North Florida and South Georgia. That was where um Georgia Farm Bureau reached out and just had some some friends that worked up at Georgia Farm Bureau. They knew our background, knew our story, and asked if we would come up and talk to that group after they just experienced so much loss after after the hurricane. So went up there, interacted with the group, thought it was going to be a one and done thing. And we were surprised and humbled by the amount of people who reached out with their own issues, their own stories and that's when the advocacy efforts really began to increase. We realized that there was a significant need. And so over the years now, we have developed Mind Your Melon. It's sort of our platform or our home for this advocacy work that my family and I do. And that's, uh, I tried to make it, I tried to make it a little more concise, but that was still a pretty long-winded way of saying it. No, absolutely. I think it's, it's super important that you tell the whole story because it is such a, an involved you know, and ever evolving story that you have to share. And it's an amazing story. Mm -hmm. um, what 
kind of things did you experience as you started becoming more interested in the mental health aspect? Was your family on board with that uh, kind of a reaction? How, how did they handle that? Oh, I, I would say that in general, not just within my family, but even within, you know, extended groups, friends or distant family, or even within our community, the topic was so stigmatized. Uh, and, and that was one of the things that I learned very quickly. It felt like something we weren't really supposed to talk about and kind of almost made me feel that much more like, hey, we, this is a Band-Aid we're supposed to rip off. Like, this is this is something we should be talking about. And then I thought that for a while and never really, I guess I never really gave it the attention or, or gave it the investment that it really needed until the Georgia experience that we had when all of these other people started coming up and having one-off conversations or private conversations. And that's when I realized people aren't necessarily going to openly talk about this, but it is very relevant. So you asked about how it was received. Um, some of my direct family, you know, my mom and my brother, everybody's been extremely supportive, but some of us feel more comfortable than others talking about it. And so I think we all agree that it's a subject worth advocating for and it's work that needs to be done, but it's still a very a sensitive topic. It's an area of vulnerability. And so, um, yeah, we're just gradually yeah. trying to break away at some of that stigma and, and make it a little more normalized of conversation. I find, too, because I end up having a lot of those same conversations with people um, and trying to connect with them. And I find, too, that it's it's somehow easier to talk about it when you both share your vulnerabilities, you know, once I get done speaking about, you know, mental health and agriculture, farm stress, all of those topics, I think people find it much easier to come up and have a conversation because they recognize that you've been there too type of thing. So it's hard for people just in passing to have a conversation about it without someone engaging that conversation first. So I think it's, it's amazing that, you know, some of us just have to bite that and just, continue to have those conversations and start those um, those really, really important dialogues with people. And Marsha, you um, kind of shifting gears a little bit to talk about grief. Um, I myself, I lost my dad when I was a freshman in high school. So, and we farmed, uh, my dad passed away from a heart attack on the farm, but I understand grief. And as it comes, it's unique when it has to do with maybe farming um, stuff like that, because you, I know you're a multi-generational farmer. You come from that background and then having something like that happen at a young age and trying to figure out not only, well, how do I go on? But then you have this other piece of it that makes it mean a little bit more, makes it maybe a little bit more stressful. How did you manage that? Or did you feel like that impacted where you're at today a little bit more or how you go about things now? I definitely think that there's been a huge ripple effect that I've felt over the years. And and my grieving process was probably a little different than, than others because, you know, you can read the different books or, you know, listen to people talk about the process of grief and how we manage it and deal with it and talk about the stages, whether it be frustration, anger, resentment, and then going into more of you get the actual sadness and, and so on and so forth. I remember people telling me I was I had high school teachers. I remember one specifically that comes to mind and, and he pulled me aside and told me, he's like, you're going to get really angry. And I don't know, maybe it just wasn't in my nature. I'm not sure. But I never I never really got so angry 
as much as when I really started thinking, what bothered me was the idea that my dad didn't feel like he could reach out to any of us. That's, that's what really got to me. And more so just, I, I guess I skipped some of the anger and went more to the sadness phase where it was just odd to me that my dad was over there at the farm working on whatever, thinking he had to go it alone. And I really think that will probably resonate with so many people from the ag field. The idea that you just got to, you got to muck it out. You have to get through it by yourself and really don't. Uh, you've got a network of people around you. you. You have to be open to it. You have to admit it and you have to be willing to lean on them. But I always say farmers, ranchers, different people in our industry, we are some of the quickest people to go help somebody. Some of the slowest people to actually ask for help or admit that we need help. So that's something you, you ask about how it's impacted me and my perspective. That's that's where I think just viewing it from that line of sight that I I always felt more empathetic or even sympathetic for my dad in the situation that he must have been at that particular time. And that's something that's always kind of, it's motivated me to want to be a little bit more open about what I'm, what I'm going through and the resources I have around me um, rather than just always going into it with a mindset that I've got to do it alone or I have to be it all, all by myself. And, and also just um, making sure that I can try to be a resource for those others who might be in need as well. And it's super, super important to connect those dots because like you said, in the agriculture industry, we don't, we're all of that mindset that we have to do this. It's one of those things you just kind of got to power through it and, and hold it all down by yourself. But I think too, it's so heartbreaking when a community experiences a death um, similar to your dad's situation that everybody always says, oh, I wish I would have known, or I wish I could have done something. I wish I could have, um, if he'd only said something and I would have helped. But really what we need to shift our mindsets to be is how can I have that conversation before it gets to that point? How can I engage that person and let them know that they don't need to feel like they're alone. If we don't ever let them feel alone, they will never get to that point. And I think it's so, so, so important because we see all of these people come together to help each other, especially in the in the event of a death that everybody's willing to come out of the woodwork and just help each other. But how many of those people came out of the woodwork to say, hey, I'm here. I'm here. I know nothing's wrong, but I just want you to let you know I'm here. We have to be better about doing that stuff so that everybody knows that there's no shame in asking for help. Not at all. And it's just, it's such a big mindset shift. If you take a look at, you know, anything on our webpage or any of the stuff that we share, you'll notice really quickly, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. A lot of our stuff, we end up encouraging proactivity. And there, there is nothing wrong with having a wealth of tools at your disposal, whether it be on the proactive side of the spectrum, all the way to the reactive. I'm all for there being available resources for any and all of us. But where most of our advocacy stems from is what you're referring to, that proactive side of, of the spectrum. How are we engaging up front? How are we encouraging people to go in and do the maintenance rather than waiting until the back end to do the repair? And that's, yeah, that's sort of where we end up leaning to. And a lot of that 
easier said than done. You know, it, it seems uh -huh. so simple, oh, yeah. but there's so many little complex details that if it were so simple, then it wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't be here talking about this right now. Um, so the work you're doing is amazing. And it sounds like things are catching on as the next generation's coming up and being a little bit more open to this. Uh, I, I am going to ask a little bit more about the youth side of things because, you know, I, I understand the impact of something very, you know, serious in your life that at a young age can impact you into adulthood and, you know, beyond and, and how you do things. Do you find that what you're doing now, do you kind of target those youth or, or help youth to be those connections with maybe their, their parents or those that might be at a little bit more of a risk? At the very core of this, when we started out, I, I never had a target demographic or anything. It was more so if you are a producer, if you are out in the field and, or, you know, out in the pasture and you're dealing with this on a day-to-day -day basis, that, that was our target. We didn't really have an age group. We didn't have anything just like if you were actually in, in the field, we, we wanted to interact with you. We wanted this messaging to be for you. But I'm glad you mentioned the youth piece because that has been something that has been really interesting to me, especially over the past few years. And, and I'll tell you a big reason why. It's not necessarily because I was young whenever this happened to me. It's not necessarily because I thought that the younger generation or younger demographic could help be a catalyst for the subject, but more so it, it had a lot to do with my daughter. Um, my, my wife and I, we've got a baby girl and she's almost two years old and we were spending a lot of time doing, doing the typical reading books and, and just sharing stories and things like that, bedtime stories. And it was actually a, another friend of mine. Uh, he's, he's also, he's a parent to some young children. And one day we were talking about mind your melon and talking about some of the things. And he said, you know, you talk a lot to farmers and ranchers and, you know, professionals. Are you thinking much about the next generation? And in conversations with my wife and just in our home, we had talked a lot about the multi-generational nature of our businesses of farms and ranches. And then we also talked about sometimes generational and succession planning. And then we really started getting into the weeds, looking into the idea of generational stressors and not just, not just the stress, but also how we within our own family kind of learn these habits or learn these stress management methods, whether they're good or bad, you know, some of them are not healthy at all. And so I, I say all that to say, we've been paying a lot more attention lately to to youth, to the younger generation. And I'll also add in, we had a unique opportunity after some of those conversations started taking place. We have some friends and some colleagues at Ag in the Classroom and they reached out and they asked if we had any resources specific to kids. And at the time we had some ideas, things that we were incorporating for, again, our own family and stories we were sharing with my daughter. And Ag in the Classroom said, hey, if, if you would like to work with us, we'd be more than happy to help distribute some of this. And so Ag in the Classroom, I'll give them a big shout out. They helped with the development and launching of our children's book. So Mind Your Melon has a children's book called Melon Mike and is Not So Fun Feelings. And it is 
uh, it's been a cool experience to see that get it out to K through 12 educators. Uh, it's definitely geared towards a younger audience, but it's, we think it's got a neat message. It also comes along with some reflection questions and some guided question and conversation at the end. I think it ends up making for some pretty meaningful conversation and interaction with teachers and kids and parents and kids as well. So I think it's so cool because then you're not only reaching the kids, but you're also reaching the parents that are reading those books to the kids. That's the goal. It's one of those things too, where you're sitting there reading this book to your kids and you have an aha moment with, with them, not even realizing it because you're trying to share this information with him, but really something clicks with you too, because I'll be the first to admit sometimes it's a lot more helpful to read a children's book about something than it is to actually go find information on the internet or, you know, read an article or something like that. Sometimes a children's book is what a lot of us need to actually get the the point um, well, that we're, that we're looking at. It, it, but, is not, it is not a brain buster by any. any <laughs> um, and that's it, perfect. It won't take you long. That's what we need. You know, we need to break things down a little bit, not make them so, you know, large and scary. We need to be able to break those things down. I do. Oh my gosh. There's just so much good stuff. I, like we could talk for hours, I'm sure. Um, but I want to go back to a little bit what you said about the generational stressors and how that comes into play, especially like you've seen on a fifth generation family farm. I've seen it in my family's farm. Um, we're not quite five generations, but definitely becoming that. And I want to kind of pick your brain a little bit more about like what what were some of those things that you noticed with generational stressors and some of that? This isn't just indicative of just my family, but I would say if you look at a lot of multi-generational operations and you look at turnover of ownership and things like that, a lot of times the the oldest generation in line, a lot of times they they cling to that ownership or they cling to that advisory capacity for a really, really long time. And this wasn't necessarily the case with our family, but even in other farms that we interact with or people we interact with, we hear this a lot. This is really common. You have an older generation who doesn't necessarily want to relinquish power. And then when something out of the blue does happen per se, doesn't necessarily have to be something like what happened to our family, but just say that person passes away or finally does step out. You have a next generation or younger generation that really had no real exposure or real practice in terms of management and true ownership, then you're caught in a tough situation where you've just got the reins handed over to you, maybe very unexpectedly or dramatically. And now they're left scrambling, trying to figure out how to run this business. So as far as generational planning or succession planning, that's something that we advocate for is just really being a little bit more intentional about thinking of what that transition of ownership or transition of power looks like rather than waiting until somebody just passes away or gets so old that they, you know, are, are past the point of really having a healthy transition. Um, so that's one piece of it as well. Uh, but then also, I think what we've seen in some of our experiences, both personal and then also interacting with others, is the sort of buffer that some of the different levels of generations provide. Now, you mentioned five generations, and I don't know how many are still active or how many are still involved, but it almost seems like as things change a little bit each generation, production and agronomics and all these things change, uh, you almost have each separate generation serving as an extra layer of buffer or almost a, a mediator uh, in between. And so all of a sudden, one of those goes away or one of those steps out for whatever reason, and you're left with 
maybe some abrasive conversation or some difficulty in terms of everybody sitting around the family dinner table trying to understand what the next season or what the next crop is going to look like. And so I, I hope that sort of touches on what you're referring to or what you were asking about. But I definitely think that when you start doing business with family already has its own nuance, but then you start talking about multiple generations all on a single production operation. And yeah, it, uh, it can get a little murky. Yes. And, you know, as you're talking, you made me think of something unlike a lot of, you know, well-established businesses where there is, there's policies and procedures put into place. If that person were to step down, then this is exactly what it would look like to continue as is. It, those lines could potentially be blurred on those farms because there are there's structure to some degree, but there's leniency. It, it, like from your point of view, what suggestions would you have if I'm a if I'm somebody listening and and I'm feeling what you're saying, like, wow, this you're talking, this sounds exactly like my family. This sounds exactly like some issues we might come across, but I, I don't even know where to start. What maybe what what advice would you give them or what would you maybe say? here here is something that I would look at or think about. I don't want this to sound super vague or generic, but I, I think this is a really good starting point. You, you could go into tactical approaches as far as like, I would want to get an estate planner. I would want to pencil this and that out. I would want to look at what inheritance looks like and figure out the best way that we could put our organization or put our business into this entity or what, and that look at taxation and any of these things. You could go down rabbit holes chasing those. But first step, you have to have all parties involved in this business who are willing to sit down at the table and have the open conversation about it. And for a lot of people, it's about like talking about mental health or it's about like talking about suicide or something. You, people don't want to do it. It's it's an emotional conversation. It's a sensitive topic. And within family operations and family businesses, sometimes there's there's definitely some funny feelings about sitting down to the table and everybody talking about it. So recommendation number one would be being able to detach enough from your own personal situation or your family business, realizing that this is something that, hey, maybe we need to spend a little bit of time looking at this longer term plan and figuring out what could make sense. How do I bring the other people who are involved? Like how, how's my family company set up? Is, is grandpa and dad you know, are they they both involved as well or my son and my father or whatever the case may be, mother, daughter, what have you. Who do I need to have around the table? How do I get them to the table and have them willing to have a conversation? And from there, you can there are resources available at your disposal. You can find estate planners, you can find generational business resources, all those things. First and foremost, you got to have the conversation. Absolutely. I think it's important to start there. Um, because like you said, there are tons of resources. I know in Indiana, the Purdue uh, succession planning team has a ton of resources. They have a workbook. I have a stack of them over here um, in my office that I can't get people to take home and use because they don't want to talk about it. But I think it's it's very foundational to have that conversation and say, hey, we need to start having this talk happen regularly make sure, you know, you separate it from, you know, holidays or regular family gatherings, but make sure that everybody comes and is prepared to, like you said, kind of separate themselves 
from the situation and, and say, okay, let's look longevity wise into the future. What needs to happen here? Because that's one of the things that I've noticed too, is that a lot of times when you get so many generations involved, you end up losing some of the, those generations or some of those players because they don't feel like there's a place for them on the farm. Mm-hmm. And even opening up those conversations to include, okay, what does everyone bring to the table? Is there something that so-and-so wants to learn but hasn't had the opportunity because grandpa does that every time? How can we you know, open up that communication a little bit to you know, make it okay to have those conversations? And find those resources because they're everywhere people just don't don't want to start looking that's a great point and and i like what you said don't don't do it around the holidays that'll make for an awkward christmas right but now we 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 heard from some folks a while back i say we i mean my wife and i uh it was it was actually father son and it started out with each of them separately write down or think about what you have planned or what the future looks like for this operation and then as they're comparing notes, completely way off, not aligned on what the future of the business would look like or should look like. And so it can be sensitive, but it makes for some interesting conversation and helping in terms of aligning on what goals and plans are. Yeah, you're right. It is that conversation no one wants to have. But if you're thinking ahead, which we all want the, our next generation to be learn from our mistakes and be better off. So finding that that way to make it a little bit better and having those conversations. And that leads me to my next question with the mind your melon and what you're doing. What do you hope to see evolve from this or or what, what are your next steps? So I have tried my best not to overthink mind your melon way too much over the years. I've really thought to myself that I want this to be a very natural, very organic type thing where, you know, we can continue advocacy in this space and ultimately serve as resources or or be helpful to other people within the industry. So try not to overthink it way too much, but we definitely do have some plans for the future as far as how we can continue better understanding ourselves, more and more of the, the psychology behind all of this and what resources are available, not just from a personal well-being standpoint, but also a business and financial well-being perspective. And then also how we be a better conduit between those resources and people involved in the industry. So our our goal is we want to continue growing our advocacy for sure. As far as how I see the space in general, I think it's positive that we're hearing more and more about the subject of mental health. Even getting the invitation from you to, to get to come and speak on your podcast, I appreciate it. And I'm glad that we are having more and more of these I'll say proactive conversations. It gives me some hope. And and I think that as we continue to do that, we still got work ahead of us, but we are all contributing to destigmatizing this weird subject, this weird topic, but something that I do think deserves attention. And so I'm I'm hopeful that we'll keep doing that and moving into the new generation or the the future of agriculture. We know it's going to look different. My dad used to say that, like, just when you think you've got farming figured out, the next season comes along and humbles you. Mm-hmm. It, it's true. We we continue to see this huge evolution, and in our industry is changing daily. And that can be really, really scary, but it also brings me hope because I think on the flip side of that, we are also innovators, and mm-hmm. we are resilient. 
And so, and I say we as agricultural industry members. So I'm hopeful moving forward that we're going to continue adapting and evolving along with the industry. We're going to find new resources, new innovation, and the next generation hopefully will continue to make it look even brighter. Definitely. Definitely. This is all so great. Um, love sharing all of this information. And we want to thank you so much for being our guest today on the Tools for Today's Farmer podcast. Before we go, is there anything else you want to share with our audience or where can they go to find more um, about Mind Your Melon? Absolutely. Uh, feel free to go to mindyourmelon.org. That's our main website and it, it will have links to uh, some of our different social media pages. Um uh, it will also have links to our podcast. Yeah. Um, do a quick shout out for that too. Uh, you can Absolutely. Go yeah, we can, um, you are more than welcome to go on there and, and take a look at our own podcast. That's something that my wife and I are running. It's relatively new. We started that up, but we wanted to write a platform for people in the industry who, if they get to the point that they are willing and open to sharing their own stories, come on, share your story. We want to talk about it. We want to hear from you. On the flip side of that, we also want to provide a platform to bring people on who we have identified as, you know, people who might be resources or, or talk about subjects that will be helpful to producers or people in the industry. So kind of multifaceted there as far as who we're trying to bring on. And yeah, always open to suggestions. So if you have any, feel free to reach out, send us a message. That's great. There's there's so much out there. So much that people might not even think about. Thank you for bringing that to light and just giving people one more uh, opportunity to learn more and maybe help them out in a way that they, they didn't think was out there. So thank you for what you do and how you're doing it. And thank you all for listening to the tools for today's Farmers Podcast. If you'd like more information about the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team, go to extension.purdue.edu slash farmstress, or you can find us on Facebook, the Purdue Extension Farm Stress Team. We use the hashtag FarmStrong on our posts to emphasize that the agricultural community is resilient and strong enough to overcome anything that comes our way. Share your stories of overcoming stress on our social media using the hashtag FarmStrong. We're your hosts, Rachel Delhoff and Abby Heidenreich. Thanks for joining us today.